Hello, all my protein fart smelling listeners. You're listening to the How Should I Bro podcast, and I just want to let you guys know that the show is brought to you by some really awesome people. The first one is Show Me Comics. It is the premier independent comic book company in the entire country, and I got a couple guys here that can tell me what's so awesome about Show Me Comics. Dude, I don't know what you're talking about. Like That shit is violent, and it is shocking, and it really has no place on bookstore shelves but it's 64 pages of full color shocking that belong does not belong on store shelves i'll tell you what definitely the people that shouldn't be reading it are males 18 to 34 they should not read it i fall in that category guys. <laughs> they should go nowhere near it <laughs> yeah it will corrupt them and it will uh, poison their minds but you can get a copy of their comic book hafu for only $9.99 plus shipping and handling at www.showmecomics.com. This show is also brought to you by Extreme Krav Maga, which is where I train all of my clients. I do all of my boot camps, the MMA classes. They do self-defense, CCW. They will turn you into fucking Rambo if you go there. And last but not least, this show is brought to you by Bear Crawls. My clients love them. Freddie's clients love them. And Chris Cyberlick. Your, your fucking clients love them because that's all they ever do. I would be lost without bear crawls. What would I do without you? So uh, since this uh, since the last episode was recorded, I uh, I finally got back into the wrestling ring and I had a match. And uh, I just got to say, you know, I come onto this show and I talk all the time about training and diet and how much that it helps you in all different avenues and aspects of your life. But at 33 years old, I'm not exactly a uh, spring chicken, but... I think that with some of the prehab and some of the stuff that I did, it helped me tremendously considering I've been out of the ring for over a year and I got back into it and I wrestled this guy by the name of Dirty Jake Durden. He's this fucking seven foot tall lumberjack looking guy who's been to Japan. He's won championship belts all around the Midwest. And you know what? I got in the ring and I felt great. In fact, I think it's some of the best shape that I've ever been in in my entire life. So I would just like to dedicate that to the hard work that I put into my training and my dieting. You are dedicating it to yourself. <laughs> to myself. That's right. You know, a lot of a lot of people after their match, they dedicate it to uh, to certain people, their sponsors. I'm dedicating it all to myself. All the glory goes to me. I could just see if you're winning an award. You come up and you're like, first I just like to thank Sam. He's awesome. <laughs> Without him, I don't know where I'd be. Um also, just you know, for the incredible, incredible support I got from Sam, <laughs> I'd like to thank the two people that made this possible: Adam Raw and Sam Richardson. Thank you. All right, today our guest is Mister Farudin Freddy Fit himself. Freddy, I would like to give you a round of applause because I'm so happy. I've been saying since we started this show that I wanted to have you on here. So. I would like to talk a little bit in the beginning about uh, how long you've been in this field and how we met. How did we meet, man? Well, see, back in the back in the day, Freddie and I used to work at this humongous sports complex called the uh, the St. Louis Sports Center, and uh, they were going through some changeovers at the time. We had uh, the the owners of the place. They they sometimes went back and forth on what they wanted that place to be, and. They decided that they wanted me to create this concept for bringing in large amounts of athletes, training them all at one time. So we came up with this idea, this this thing called the Athlete Factory. And to do this, I was going to need like three or four extra trainers to kind of carry out the plans that they wanted me to write out. 
And uh, the owners there, they, they said, look, we don't have a lot of money to be working with. In fact, we have, like, none. So you got to make sure that any trainers that you hire aren't going to want a lot of money. So, <laughs> so that's how you guys met. So, they, uh, yeah, they wanted me to hire some people that had, like, no experience in the field. And honestly, in my part, I said, that's, that's fine because I would rather have people coming in that had no bad habits yet than bring in some fucking people from Globo Gym or 24-Hour Treadmill that, you know, already had all these bad habits built up. So uh, we went through this, we were going to go through this hiring process, and the owners kept, they kept having me bring in, you know, people that they knew, people they knew from college, or just knew from uh, some of the sports that, that had practiced there at the facility. And it actually just so happened that my significant other, who is a nurse, had, uh, had this girl that she was working with that told me uh, she had a friend who was wanting to get into personal training. And at first, I was like, I, I don't give a fuck. There's a lot of people out there that want to get into personal training. But when she told me that he was Bosnian, that is what got my radar going off. Because I just, I, I love the Bosnian community. They're some of my favorite people. In fact, sometimes I, I think that I am Bosnian. And so, uh, and so I got into contact with this, uh, with this, this kid. He was a kid at the time. He was quite young. And uh, he came in for the interview and... Uh, Freddie, you remember the interview that you went with me the first time? <laughs> yeah, I recall it, man. Fred came in and uh, I was I was dressed to impress for sure. He looked quite dapper. He, uh, <laughs> I mean, how old were you then? Uh, going on twelve. <laughs> <laughs> so I think I was seventeen, eighteen. Yeah, you you probably were. You were pretty yeah, young yeah, at yeah. the time. But uh, he came in and he had on this like this skin tight button up dress shirt. It was like purple. And he had the He's whole, wearing a purple shirt right and now. And he had the whole fucking hair going on and everything. And I looked at this kid and I was like, man, this kid is fucking oozing charisma. I was like, this is what I want. I was like, and everything that he said in the interview, I was like, this is perfect. Whenever I asked him, I was like, you know, why do you want to get into the fitness field? You know, what are, what are your goals and ambitions to become a trainer? It's like, man, he was right on. And my first thought was like, this dude would make a great tag team partner in wrestling. <laughs> and then second, I was like, he'd probably be a lot of fun to work with. And then third, I was like, oh, yeah, he'd probably fit the job okay, too. <laughs> Actually, if I recall correctly, dude, that's what the interview was all about. It was your wrestling career. <laughs> we spent like two days going over your wrestling days. I think when you finally told me you were a wrestler, you showed me a promo. I was like, dude, this is awesome, man. At first, I thought you were talking about like college wrestling, dude. I'm like, oh, God, one of those guys. <laughs> and then uh, he showed me his little promos, and I'm like, dude, we just started talking wrestling. I think that's, <laughs> that's all we did. Took. We never trained anybody for sure. Starting to see well, a pattern here with uh, Sam's self congratulations. <laughs> yeah, yeah. let, me, let me pat myself on the back for Fred's success. <laughs> um, and then we but, brought out that mat, and used to we used to wrestle on it, dude. As uh, as weird as that sounds, but. That's kind of where I learned a lot of the wrestling moves. <laughs> yeah, we took a, somebody took a video of me doing a wrestling move to Fred on this mat, and you know I hit him with like a power bomb or something, you know, and he sold it for like a second, and then he got right back up, like, "Hey, look at that!" And dude, all my wrestling friends were pissed because they're like, "Dude, you're totally they exposing took it personal, it. dude. Yeah, they they did take it personal. It. People are gonna watch that and know it's fake." And I'm like, "Dude, they can watch Monday Night Raw and know that it's fake." <laughs> oh yeah, man. But, you told uh, me you gave him a lower body mandible claw. <laughs> well, he asked for it. It was either that or the shocker, and that was. But uh, yeah, so we had that interview, and I remember it. I had to, it took like a month for me to finally convince the owners to to actually hire you because they wanted 
they wanted some weird shit where it was like, well, tell them to try out for a month, and if it's okay, then we'll see. And I had a finalist be like, look, dude, this guy's worth it. Just let's get him in here because he's going to be awesome. So that is how I met Fred. And the the thing that you, you got to introduce Chris too, man. You got to give well, him that, a shot. Well, that's what I was going to say. Is, you know, on some previous episodes, you know, I've talked about uh, trainer development. You know, like for a lot of the the new trainers getting into the field, tips and things that they can do to uh, to really help accelerate their career so that they're not just floundering. Because you've seen this as much as I have now, and that's how many new trainers get into this. They don't understand the business side. They wind up making no money, and then they quit. And they think, oh, there's there's nothing to this. The thing that stood out to me about Fred was this dude came in the first day with a fucking notebook. You came in ready to take notes like you wanted to learn. And so I would try to do trainer development because that's how I came up. I was very lucky that whenever I first got into training, I had the awesome Ira Baldwin to be my my mentor. And uh, most gyms don't do that. When new people come in, they just kind of throw them out into the water. And, you know, if they sink, they sink. If they, they sink, if they swim, they swim. But I, I like the whole development thing. So I remember Fred showed up his first day and he had a notebook with him. Like he was like ready to learn. And, uh, you know, the other trainers that were there didn't have much experience and they didn't really seem to want to learn to do anything other than their own way. And uh, everything that we talked about, like you were like a sponge, man. You would just soak information up. And the funny thing is what we did at Sports Center wasn't like the typical model for what personal trainers do. And I used to tell Fred this all the time i would say dude there's a lot of stuff that we're you know i'm going to teach you that doesn't apply to what we do here but you're not going to stay here for very long you know i was like you're you're going to be good enough at this shit that you're eventually going to branch off and you're going to get into actual personal training and that's where all this shit i'm showing is going to apply so i just saw so much fucking potential coming out of this kid that i was like hey why not teach him the whole thing who cares if it's not going to work here because eventually he's going to go off to some place where this these skills are going to be needed and um (laughs) One of the stories that I always think about whenever we were at, at Sports Center was uh, the volleyball teams that we used to train, oh, and yeah. uh, and Melville basketball. So one of one of Fred's like first uh, one of his first chances to really get in and start to immerse in the whole trainer thing, get to start to do things you know his way and get some experience. We brought in the uh, the Melville basketball varsity boys team, and uh, you remember that red haired kid that we called Conan O'Brien? That's the one who comes up to my mind mostly. <laughs> so that was Fred's first, you know, chance to actually get in. And most trainers don't, you know, most trainers, whenever they're building up their business, they're lucky if they have one or two clients for their first several weeks. And here's Fred getting thrown an entire fucking team of high school age athletes. And that's, you know, that's, that's, uh, that, that's a lot of pressure on you. So how did you feel that first time when you had all this group of, these group of kids coming in, you had to work with them and this was your first time dealing with anybody? Oh, God. Well, first, I can remember Sam Richardson's always in the corner spooking on you, making sure you're doing everything right. And obviously, his attitude and charisma, everybody kind of draws to it. Well, it was kind of an experience for sure. Um, a lot of the kids were obviously athletes. You know, being an athlete from a young age, from Taekwondo days, I always I see potential. And so it was a kind of it was uncharted territory because here you are going from one person to how many people are on that team? It was like 12 or 13. Yeah. I mean, these kids are in high school. They don't, some of them, I mean, cocky, some of them not cocky. So it was a good experience. I learned a lot how to train, how to kind of, I think the hardest part of it was kind of dealing with multiple personalities of kids, you know. Um, yeah, you remember our buddy, what was his name? He was always shirtless. He was a troublemaker in that class. Oh, me, I, I can't remember you know, I'm talking about, I, think I remember the face. He I had a crush remember. on, uh, what's her name? Uh, uh, Courtney. Courtney. 
Yeah, I, I cannot remember their names. But the, the thing that, you know, like you said, the multiple personalities, I think the big thing that you got experience with, which is super important for a trainer, and it had nothing to do with the actual exercise, which was growing these kids' confidence. You know, seeing the difference in the ones that first came in and they couldn't lift shit and they didn't believe in themselves. And then after you built them up, just watching how much that they changed physically, how their performance changed and increased just because you brought that out of them. You showed some confidence and you built them up. And uh, I remember like the smallest kid on the team, like his first day in there. He was Bozzy, by the way, too. (laughs) (laughs) It was Melville, like half the team was. But uh, he was like so scared to do anything. He was quiet. Like he didn't want to jump in. And I mean, you took that kid like right under your wing. And within two or three weeks, you had that dude coming in doing personal sessions with you. And he was just like, his ability was exceeding what the other kids were doing. Oh, yeah. And I mean, a lot of it is kind of where I kind of got interested into one-on-one training because I feel like in group atmospheres, I mean, these kids, I mean, their parents are going to pay for everything they want. And so a lot of the stuff, when you see a kid, if you see a whole bunch of kids and you got six of them messing around and then you have one who's very excited and eager, I mean, I feel like as a trainer, I wanted to make him grow, give him full potential. I mean, I mean, it can make it or break this kid from here on. Like, he can be a college basketball player or he can just be a nobody now out of that experience i think i i taught you another thing about training and i know it holds Here true to go. this day patting <laughs> sam on the back again <laughs> you taught me everything yeah, man <laughs> oh i thought that's well, what he taught you to always pat him on the back. <laughs> that's what this whole show is about this one's dedicated well, to i just want to say you're doing a great job on the show so far <laughs> oh, well, thank you uh tim do you have anything nice to say about me <laughs> Sam, you're doing an amazing job, and the show wouldn't exist without you and your expertise. Thank you, thank you. Now, if you would all uh, get under the table now, one at a time. Oh, and, okay. uh, <laughs> um, But with that basketball team, um, I think one of the important things that, that I always try to teach new trainers when they come in, and it just goes right over their head, is how much fun that you can have with this, with this this uh, in this industry. And so... When uh, when this team finally had their very first home game, me and uh, Fred and our other trainer at the time, Courtney, decided to go see their first game. <laughs> I do remember that. Too. Now, what kind of experience was that for you? I think we didn't we get kicked out. Uh, we may have at the end. I <laughs> so know Sam the- decided to make these uh, posters. <laughs> were you uh, Team Conan or something? Team Conan. We were like yeah, we were like the <laughs> three obnoxious kids. <laughs> Yeah, so yeah, I mean it was a good I've experience. There, I feel like they were they saw us more than trainers. I feel like they 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 grew to us. You know what I mean? Like they're obviously they have a Melville uh, coach who was awesome. He was very easy to work with. But with that being said, a lot of the kids kind of they I mean obviously they knew you were a wrestler and I love to lift, so they were kind of like asking questions. So when they start asking questions, that means they believe in you. They have something they can learn a lot from you. So I feel like I felt appreciated when they invited us i mean i'm like come watch what we do right they they wanted they were excited when we yeah, came in there they were, they were like, like hey come on in and that's that's a big reason why is because we don't just come across as just another coach you know it's like when they're in high school and they got their fucking teachers and their coaches like these coaches want to be seen as like a boss like oh bow to me do this because of me and it's like there might be a level of respect there but they don't really want to be around that person where with the attitudes and the way that we present ourselves around the kids, they knew that we meant business. And if they weren't listening or they weren't trying hard, we'd be on their ass. But at the same time, they knew they could have fun with us. So it was more like Penn State then. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, they'd be on their ass, but they could have fun well, with you. And they're just lucky that the showers at Sports Center didn't work, but that didn't stop us from taking them in there. <laughs> oh, God, dude. So <laughs> all of these kids were 17 and older. Let me just preface this. 
So that's not old enough. <laughs> it's eighteen, dude. But hey, from from the uh, from the basketball team into the volleyball teams that we worked with. So while we were there, we had a very very large uh, market for volleyball. And now Sports Center had like they had one side of the facility where there was like ten basketball courts, and so that was one of our you know one of our biggest renters were these volleyball leagues that would come in and, and play their volleyball games there. And we had uh, what was it three of the largest volleyball organizations in in the Midwest that brought all of their training and stuff there, and that was H two Thunder and uh, AIM, and so. What our job was, was we would go in and I, I would like meet up with these groups and I would talk to like the figureheads. I would go out in front of them. They would bring all of their players and I would do these big meetings where I would basically just, it was like an infomercial. I would sell performance training to them. And then if the, if the league owners decided they like it, they would go back, convince the parents. And then as an entire organization, they would purchase training from us. Now, I'm not talking like this ain't like personal training where someone would buy 10 sessions and they throw down a couple thousand dollars. This was maybe 120 players all having to buy in and the league would throw like you know, we're talking you know 10 15 20 grand out of one organization and so when you throw multiple organizations there was a lot of money that we were bringing in but that meant that we had to train you know, hundreds of athletes as they were coming into this so it was funny because for the volleyball we had you know like the boys team and the girls team and the first one we had to bring in was this team called Thunder. And I remember we were like, all right, dude, whenever we bring this group in, they're coming in for their first one. This is the one that we have to sell them on training. So we really want to kick their asses. You know, it's all these, I thought, you know, it's all these older teenage boys. They're going to come in. They're going to have these fucking hormones going. They're going to think they're badasses. So we need to really set a precedence here, you know. And within the first two seconds, we had to get, like, fucking trash cans out because those motherfuckers were throwing <laughs> up. You remember, do you remember what the one dude did in the bathroom? Didn't he pass out? No, he went in and pissed himself. You remember <laughs> no that? Way. This dude. No way. Yeah, yeah, this dude. Yeah, this dude. Because didn't she go in there and change his diapers? <laughs> <laughs> By the way, I do want to give a shout out to Thunder because I did wear their shirt today when I was squatting. <laughs> I found there, it was like extra large t shirt. I'm like, can I, st- can I still squeeze into this? Well, that's, and that's another example of like, you know, if, if you do it right, the athletes will respect you. But they will also appreciate you. Is that that group fucking hated us the first day? They were throwing up. They were pissing their pants. But by the end, man, there was a group of like ten of them. Like uh, what was his name, Mitch? Yeah, I think because there was cool Mitch, and then there was the one Mitch that I almost beat the fuck out of that one. Tall, day. I, you remember that? Actually, coming to find out, I think he went to Cali. I think he uh, he followed his dreams. Good for him. But that one day, I remember they. Yeah, that he was got a little scared. Yeah, that was bad. That was a killer kid. But um. God, they were like six nine, dude. Yeah, they were they were big ass <laughs> dudes. What but, kept going through my mind? I'm like, these are some professional wrestlers I see right here, not uh, volleyball players. Oh yeah, but I mean, their their attitude when they first started was it wasn't good. But by the end, you get like a month in or so, and these guys were really wanting to come in and work out and improve themselves. Whenever they saw the benefit to it, and they saw that we were serious about helping them out, so that was the boys. Then you had the girls. So we would bring in these incredibly large teams. Like I said, we're talking hundreds at a time. And how this would work, our gym could hold 
let's say we brought in like 75 to 100 at a time. We had this facility where like the gym was divided into four quadrants and you would bring around 20 to 25 into each group. Fred would have his own group. Courtney would have her group. You know, Chris would have his group. And then there would either be the fourth trainer and I just manage or I would handle that other one. Or I would have four trainers and then I would go over in air quotes, assist Fred <laughs> with whatever group it was so we could have fun. And so... You know, we, we started the day with the girls, and we thought, oh, there's going to be a bunch of teenage girls, and they're just going to be, you know, just kind of joking off and not really taking this very serious. And these girls kicked ass. Like, they were so oh, yeah. different. The boys were throwing up, peeing their pants, and the girls were just like, I remember the first day we brought them in, and that group that we were with, there had to be 50 over there, and they started singing this fucking Taylor Swift song. Like, all of them together. And we were just like going with it, like, okay, if that's what it takes for you to work out. And they that was probably the most fun that they've ever had while working out. But the problem was these groups would come in and they would be, I mean, we trained everything from probably like 10-year-olds all the way up to like college-level athletes. So when you would get a group, like we were going through so many people so fast, every half hour we would get another group brought in. You really wouldn't know what age range was brought into you. So... We had this one group that I I have no idea why, but this particular group is like 30 girls fell in love with you and I. Now, I get why they would fall in love with Fred, because Fred is this badass dude. He looks like a fucking underwear model over here. <laughs> Fred with his oozes charisma just dripping off of him, and plus he's closer in age to these girls. But... uh for some reason, some of them took a liking to me as well. So whenever they would come in, they would constantly be like, we want to go to Fred and Sam's group. We want to go to Fred and Sam's group. And, uh, and you had Chris in the corner, man. <laughs> hey, no, I love you, Chris. <laughs> but they wanted to hear his uh, fighting days. They would ask to stay away from uh, certain trainers in there. But uh, the funny thing is, so do you remember there was, there was one girl in the group in particular named Lulu. And oh, then, yeah. and, oh, here's I the think thing. I remember hearing something about Lou. These girls would come in and they, yeah, I mean, some of the stuff that they would say and act and do. Again, it's like Fred and I, as much fun as we have with the job, we're total professionals about it. So you've got that line that you've got to stay on where you want to stay cool because you've got these younger clients, these younger athletes, and you don't want them to get bored with it. You don't want them to feel like you're a drill sergeant or else they'll just stop coming. So you want them to feel cool and like they're having fun, but at the same time, you can only go so far with that. You don't want to cross boundaries. You don't want to become a fucking predator or something. And so, like I said, we would try to stay on the line. We're really cool with it, but we weren't you know, ever going over it. But some of these girls, my God, they would try to. They would try to cross that line. And you're like, wow, for being you know, 16, 17, they're pretty aggressive with stuff. And so this, you know, there's this one girl in particular named Lulu, and... I don't know why, but she would tell the other girls on the team that she was my girlfriend. Remember that? She would come in and she's like, I'm Sam's girlfriend, whatever. I'm like, yeah, whatever, Lulu. So I figured, though, I thought this girl was like 16, 17, because, again, we didn't know the ages as they came in. And Fred and I would always joke around about this. And finally, one Christmas, I'm I'm training my one-on-one client because we were closed for all of the groups. And uh, this girl, Lulu, comes up to the gym, and she's totally dressed in regular clothes. And I'm like, Lulu, what are you doing here? Like, you know you guys don't have practice tonight, right? She's like, I know, but I got you this Christmas present. And I was like, 
okay and she hands me this bag with like a fucking Please ribbon on it tell me it was an ivory duo <laughs> and she goes she's like can i give you a hug and i was like um yeah yeah i just kind of raised my arms like whatever and then she left and i remember i'm training my client angie angie still tells the story now but uh angie goes open it up what was it and i open it up and it's a bunch of hershey kisses and so i go up to fred and i'm like dude i was like I got to tell some people this because I think this girl is psycho. Like, she just gave me a bunch of Hershey kisses, and we're like, I wonder how old she actually is. So, we go into the computer system, and we were looking up, like, the the age range for them, and she was, like, 13. <laughs> <laughs> I was hoping it was going to be single digits. <laughs> <laughs> Hold on. Edit that out. We looked at the computer, and she was five (laughs) she could barely walk into the gym yeah but she was walking so that's understandable but fred so (laughs) you know at your first training job you're like months into it and you've got these crazy teenage girls that are in there saying all kinds of crazy stuff to you and your job is to train them and be professional but it's like how do you stay on the edge what was your mindset during that and what did you take away from training those volleyball teams Oh man, I'm not gonna lie. I was nervous um, going into it. It was it was a lot of fun. I don't know if you remember when we had them squat. <laughs> you remember that when they PR'd a little? Didn't they have a girl squat like 200 that day? Yes. yes I was like, damn. I mean, it. the guys couldn't squat that. I mean, like I said, another experience. You know, you're working with kids. You know, and you're trying to you want them to learn and grow, but then you have a lot of them who it kind of turned into daycare most of the time. Sometimes it did. So it it's kind frustrating. of you get your parenting. You get become a good parent mm-hmm. along the way. Oh, like a good experience. Um, just a different atmosphere. It was cool though because I think in a but I feel like the girls were easier to work with than the guys because the girls actually wanted to work out. Oh, completely. They were serious about reaching oh, their yeah. goals. Like they were serious about the volleyball. Where the boys were just kind of like, eh, do you think that's like an ego thing? Like the guys, are I like, think so. I don't need. So the thing with guy. the guys were the guys were. I mean, these guys are. I mean, when you're an athlete, they had talent. That's the one thing Sam always presented. Is like you have the skill, you have a, you have a coach and trainer who's going to make you good. But we're gonna make you athletes, and I feel like they had that mindset. Wherever they went, that they were the, they were the shit. So they would walk in, and they feel like they don't have to work out. They can kind of call the shots because I, I mean, just like you have your ringleader, who's the best guy on the team, he leads his way. And you know, we didn't kind of. That's where I kind of Sam always guided me on that. Is like you can't feed into that stuff. You kind of have to be strict with all of them. You know. Oh, for sure, and uh, that's exactly it. But I feel like the girls were easier to work with because they they weren't egotistical. Mm-hmm. I mean, they, well, they like to goof around. You yeah. know, I mean, they're girls, and you know, they like to giggle and laugh, and you know, give you candy, give us candy, <laughs> give us give kisses, Adam Raw candy. kisses. <laughs> all right, so from there, that was my time with you. That's all right, what so all the padding with. on my back, I, I have to stop now because now that the show's it almost was, over, <laughs> yeah, it was it was uh, around that time that uh, Sports Center started to uh, head south, and we decided it was time for us all to break off and do our own thing, and that's whenever you uh, is that exactly how it went down? Pretty well, much. actually, when it was dying <laughs> off, we're like, well, what do we do now? So we yeah. started training MMA. <laughs> we're like, we're gonna do a fight. And yeah. <laughs> Ross like, Sam's like, let's do it. I'm gonna corner you. And we were crazy. Didn't I have like a two week notice? Yeah, you did it very last minute, and you lost a shit ton of weight doing it. Twenty pounds. I don't know, like. Uh, I would have to stay with Quentin afterwards and do a bunch of running. <laughs> I was like, wow. I felt like Rocky someday. So we did that fight, and I think was it after that or before that? It was after that. It, it was right after that. Yeah. Because at that then, point, there was no motivation for taking well, sports I mean, centers. Well, they started anymore. cutting out the lights. 
I felt like it was time to go. Yeah. The, the Do you ceiling. remember how cold it used to be in there, man? Yeah, no, dude, it was he- freezing, man. The ceiling was falling in, and then they would go back and forth. I remember my my one, you know, she was my manager, but she's been my friend for a while, and that was Courtney. They would go back and forth. They were like, they wanted to fire Courtney, but they wanted me to be the one to hire to fire her. And I'm like, dude, you guys hired her. Like the position these there for that's that's over my head. And then they would not want to do it. Then they would tell me to tell her she's going to get fired. And, I, and finally, I was like, Courtney, they want to fire you. But they're not going to do it. So just keep showing up and just keep getting paid till they stop writing checks. You know, and I felt like they did her really wrong. But at that point, I don't think any of us gave a shit about it anymore. So that's when more of the focus would go on helping you develop as an actual personal trainer and not that, you know, performance training shit that we were doing. And then eventually we branched off. So from that point, you know, I went on and I, I started a studio and that's whenever I started doing, you know, my own business stuff. And that's when you went over and, uh, you know, you started working for, for the clubs and that's when you started to get your first real experience at personal training. And that's when you like took off. So that's where I want you to take over. It's kind of like how it was, how you got in, how you felt that first time learning how to do assessments and selling and all that side of it. Oh God, looking back at it now, dude, it's, it, it's been a learning experience. So initially that's kind of how I started. Kind of worked in the club, and I wanted to get in personal training. I didn't know how. I just kind of needed somebody to give me that opportunity. And I know if I had that opportunity, I was going to go with it. So that's kind of how we met. And then right. after that, you went into your own way. And I knew I had a lot to learn. And I knew that if I wanted to be somewhere, that there was so much more development. Right. I mean, looking back at it now, I mean, like, I thought I knew a lot. Mm-hmm. I mean, now I know that's, I mean, I know a lot more. So went into the clubs, kind of started focusing on one-on-one training session sessions, assessing how to grow personalities, how to work with people. I think that's the number one thing in personal training is how to work with people. Um, there's a lot of time you'll see a lot of trainers who have their own goals and agenda, but it's kind of what the client wants. And I always tell new trainers, you have to give what your clients want. You know, I'm, I'm really big on this strength training thing and lifting weights and stuff, whatnot. But if a client comes in and they want to do CrossFit, you do CrossFit for an hour. If they come and they want to do, they want to do kickboxing. You do kickboxing, right. which is kind of what we did at the sports mm-hmm. center too. And I think that helped a lot too, kind of having a kickboxing background. So I felt like there was nothing that nobody can come to me that I was going to be able to tackle, right. as long as I was willing to learn. And the main thing, and that's that's where the whole keeping it fun for them comes in. Oh, yeah. let's, let's face it, the ninety five percent of the people that come into you, what do they want to do? They want to lose weight. Exactly. So the main thing with that is, all right, well, you just got to be consistent with your diet and you have to burn calories. Exactly. But but I feel like you have to be understandable. You know, I mean, in their mind, they're, they have a way they know they're going to lose weight. They've seen some cool little ab roller on the right. commercial and they know that tricep machine and those little side bends are the solution. And I mean, I feel like as a trainer, you have to show understanding and you have to give them that. But at the end of the day... As a professional, obviously, you have to do what's going to give them results because that's what keeps them coming back. Right. No matter what, results is what keeps them coming back. So the one-on-one training was awesome. Um, worked with a lot of people. I mean, I can't even – I've seen so many people as a trainer that I always tell myself when I start getting stale, I have to reinvent myself. Right. And it's funny you say that because looking back at it, you always told me you're going to have to recreate yourself. Yeah. So when I feel like I'm kind of getting stale, everything is inconsistent or something, I'm like, I need new ideas. Totally. So that from there, I would, I would, I mean, I took on a client with a wheelchair. Mm-hmm. Who's she holds a state record, strongest bench lady in Illinois. That's incredible. She's getting ready for another competition. Oh. Go, Christine. She's benching two hundred five, probably more than you and I put together, buddy. <laughs> it's funny because she always gives me crap. She's like, "How much are you benching now?" Yeah. And you know, I love the deadlift, man. And I'm like, "Ah, close to three <laughs> hundred. Let's, let's keep that on the table." So. 
like I said, I'm geared more towards one-on-one training. But to me, I love group training because I love. I think that's I your, love the it takes you back to your roots. I love the spotlight. Yeah, it takes you I back love to your roots. being no. there. You know, I love being. I like being loud. Mm-hmm. And so I feel like I would still run group training sessions, but I feel like after a while doing so many one-on-one sessions, that group kind of beats you down. It's mm-hmm. either you do group training or you do one-on-one sessions. Right. So I kind of look at it long term. I always look what can I give my client. How can they get better? How can they get results? Because at the end of the day, they're paying customers and they need results. So if, and I'm kind of geared more towards one-on-one training, but I always ask you here and there how to get into groups more because I right. like groups. Right. And you get to perform. You get to perform. Looking at Sam and all his Snapchats on a daily basis. <laughs> well, that's uh, – we talked about this a couple weeks ago, but that's I, – I think I liked the group training so much that I finally realized to accommodate more clients, that's, that's what I've gone to. I've gone to where I only – I mean, I will only allow individual one-on-one personal training for very few people. And usually they're the ones that have been with me for a long time that always got that one-on-one. But to accommodate more business, I had to start allowing more than one in each group. But then I got to where I was like, I just like, I feel better in front of a smaller group than I do just that one person. You know, it's it's more fun. I feel like they're still getting the same amount of personal training out of it. It still feels like, it, you know, it doesn't feel like a boot camp. But I feel like they're able to challenge each other and, and stuff like that. Do you feel like you're almost getting like less stimuli you know, when you have just that one person, if you're doing a group and then you roll to the one person, it's like kind of hard to yeah. stay focused because you're used to more going on. That's actually a good question. I feel like yes and no. Um, if they have a goal, which I try to work on goals, like I don't pick goals for them, but I'll help them pick a goal. Right. Because I don't want to be one of them trainers that like, you know, I've had like clients who come in like, oh, one of my old trainers wanted me to get down to this yeah. way. And I'm like... Did you feel comfortable there? Because at the end of the day, if you're going home and you're like, man, this is horrible, this is a lifestyle change. And I tell people it has to be a lifestyle change. You can't lose 10 pounds. We've seen it. I'm sure you have people lose 100 pounds and they put it back on. You have to change your life around. So to me, it's when they set a goal and when they hit it, I get the excitement. I had a lady who comes in like, I want to deadlift 250. Right. And so seeing all the little movements come around, like the accessory work, the volume work, all the stuff. And when they hit that number... I, you get as excited if not more than them sometimes they're like why are you so excited yeah. I'm like because you just hit a number and mm-hmm. in their mind they don't think that's a lot of right. weight but you're like you do realize when you walked in and you were you couldn't even hold a bar on your back because your messed up shoulders or you were leaning forward or this was tight that was weak or something like that so just seeing that I think you still get that same excitement oh for sure dude that's what separates you and me and Stacy Rout and Kate Evers and you know the really good trainers from the ones that are just there for the dollar sign and that is that we're on a roller coaster ride with these people emotionally just as much as they are. You know, I've talked about this before where do whenever if they weigh in and let's say, you know, they're like everybody their whole thing is losing weight. If they weigh in and like they're just having a bad week where that scale didn't budge, dude, that kills me. Like I feel like shit. Like you, you feel see like the, you failed. Yeah, exactly. Like you see that disappointed look on their face, but it's like believe me, if you're listening and you're one of them, like that shit kills us we're there with you but when you do have those good weeks where you have that awesome lift or you have the those awesome numbers it's like dude it's the best feeling in the world and same with nutrition like you say that you have to constantly find a way to make him want it and i feel like connecting with clients you know and staying engaged right like you see a lot of trainers are like well i'm off at six i'm off at six no this is like a 24 yeah. 7 job they have to be engaged in your mm-hmm. lifestyle so when they're having that rough day and they eat something bad. You got to be like, look, how are we going to get around that? You know, yeah. are you not going to find yourself in that situation? Because if they're not happy, man, mm-hmm. I don't want people to come to sessions and they're just coming in and I'm training them because right. that makes it boring. I want right. fun excitement. Plus, it helps that you live the lifestyle. 
So the, the fact that if they look over and they see you, let's say they just got to their training session and you're over there and you got your fucking Tupperware full of chicken and broccoli or something, when they see you doing it, it makes them feel like, okay, I have to do this. Fred does it. You know, I have to do it. The, the, the stuff that you tell them, you don't just say it and then turn around and not lead that lifestyle. If you tell them it and you do it, that gives them a bigger trust and belief in what you're doing. Oh, yeah. And, you know, when I got into it, it was a kind of little nerve-wracking when people are like, oh, I'm sore here or stuff like that. And I'm like, you know, usually with new clients, you kind of have to show understanding. But with my older clients, they're like, you're not the same nice guy when we started. I'm like, look, I mean, I'm not going to sugarcoat it anymore. You know right. what I mean? Because that's how it is. And, like, you know, when they come in, they're like, I'm sore here. I'm like... I can completely understand because I'm still right there yeah, too and it's yeah. like we still have to fight through it so exactly. it's like you said knowing that they you go through it too it's like mm-hmm. this is kind of what you signed up for yeah you know I mean you have a hashtag you use a lot I think it's like no days off or oh, something yeah. like that and I'll see that I'll see a lot of your clients whenever they post to you and shit and they're always hashtagging that, that no oh, yeah. days off so it's like they want to feel like they're living it with you oh, yeah. you know whereas if you were one of those trainers that just talked all this stuff but didn't actually do it that gives them nothing to believe in. Then they don't feel like they're on a ride with anybody, and then they still kind of feel like they're alone. Well, like now, you mentioned, I mean, like you get a lot of these clients, they see you, what, how many times? Twice a week, usually, for one-on-one sessions. Yeah. And I tell them, like, you know, it's two sessions that are one-hour sessions. I'm like, we have to be engaged more than that. Because right. that's, if, if that's all I see you and hear from mm-hmm. you, and you go home and you go back to your old habits and you're not willing to change them, that's, you're wasting time and money. Exactly. So I'm like, you have to stay engaged. And so mm-hmm. kind of like you do, I'm like, I'm big on the Facebook, social media, right. posting stuff, posting workouts, because when they see it, I'm a trainer too, when I see somebody post something, I'm like, oh my God, that was impressive. Mm-hmm. I might want to try that too, right. you know what I mean? So it keeps you on the edge of your feet and it keeps you wanting more. And then they want to come see you more. Then you see them in the gym when they're not training with you. Then you know they're seeing results. Dude, that's, that's actually a really good thing. One of the guys I had whenever I was coming up and was still mentoring, I had another really fucking awesome veteran trainer out there. His name was Sean Hunter. So if, Sean, you listen to my show, I'm totally giving you a fucking shout-out. This guy, he was from uh, like University of Georgia or something and kind of looked like he, he would always call himself The Rock. So he had the whole wrestling the whole wrestling thing going on but he he would talk about that a lot and i i mean man it really set into my head was it's called personal training for a reason and he goes we have to keep this stuff personal it's not like a fucking a golf or a tennis instructor that you go see once twice a week there's your two hours and then you don't think about them again you know with us we have to keep them connected to us as much as possible, whether that's by telling them, hey, you can text me 24 hours a day, seven days a week, call me. I don't care if it's two in the morning and you're fucking craving Nutella and you're texting me to see what else you can have so that you don't have it. And yes, that really has happened. Or you got to Snapchat me, you know, the foods that you just passed up because you want to feel good about yourself. Or you got to hashtag this or Facebook me or come in for boot camps or come up for extra weigh-ins. Whatever it takes to make them feel like we are personally connected and not just on those days that they see you at the training session. That's the stuff that keeps them engaged is keeping it personal because they're paying a lot of money to do this with us. And if that's all it feels like is they're just seeing us for a couple hours a week and then they forget about us, shit, it's going to be impossible for them to reach their goals. Which, speaking of goals, not to segue into your, your own goals, one of the things that Freddie did after, he, uh, after we stopped training together was he got into some competitive lifting so just so that all of our listeners know what you're capable of moving, I'd like you to talk about some of your uh, your max lifts, your deadlifts, because you guys can all go on Freddie Fit on Facebook and Instagram and check out some of the shit he's doing. 
Yeah, so I kind of got into the heavy metal, um, lifting heavy weights. I feel like it's a good therapy. So kind of got into heavy lifting. Never kind of liked heavy lifting growing up. I was kind of more into the mixed martial arts, taekwondo, kickboxing. Um, and so I kind of started lifting heavy at the gym, kind of started getting engaged in that community. And so, I, you know, obviously if you're familiar with powerlifting, you, you got your big three, squat, bench, and deadlift. You know, and so currently, like, I'm, I'm getting ready for a meet. So my squat's sitting at 490 right now. Uh, my bench is at 293. That's a competitive bench, and my deadlift's at 685. That's insane. So I'm not the biggest guy, <laughs> but you know, and I always, I don't train powerlifters. I don't tell people they need to be powerlifters, but I feel your big functional movements are is what's important in the gym, and they're often neglected. Now, the cool thing is, right here we have Jordan and Tim. They're actually thinking about getting into some competitive lifting themselves. So, um, if you guys would like to kind of throw at Fred some of your favorite lifts, what you're doing right now, what your maxes are, and maybe ask Fred how he can help you get some of those up. Take it over. <laughs> well, I have a concern, I guess a question, you know, while you're here. So I suffer from a distended rectum, <laughs> and I heard that when you squat, if you squat too much, then that thing can just drop, like, all the way out, and you can't get it back in. That's a concern I have. So that's a good concern. You need to see your uh, doctor, buddy. Well, I mean, I'm okay with it being like a like a mitten, <laughs> but not a tube sock. I mean, we got to we got to be serious about this, you know. How would you recommend that he keeps his asshole from falling out? I honestly, dude, I'm not going to answer that question for you, my friend. <laughs> I would I would venture to guess just put some duct tape over it so I mean it can't really extend past otherwise you're gonna probably tear your balls off too yeah but then you the might get a hernia and then that shit would like come out your belly button well I mean, it's gotta listen, have some place to go what happened well, to no pain no gain the other well, thing that I mean this is a lot of personal details but I love refried beans dude like, <laughs> I just I can't get enough of them and because of the internet I found that there is like breakfast recipes lunch recipes and dinner recipes the only problem is I tried that duct tape trick well the refried bean thing it's a lot of gaseous pressure that builds up and then eventually it's the adhesive can't just can't keep up <laughs> or else your eyes just pop out of your head oh actually that's Kind of makes me think of something here, Freddie. You, uh, with your, uh, with your, with your cultural background, does uh, does any of your Bosnian culture like affect some of your training and dieting? I mean, there are holidays, but uh, I'm far from religious, obviously. But I mean, there are holidays where you're not supposed to eat for like 30 days. Right, something like that. Right, um, but I don't obviously follow that a lot, and a lot of it goes it stems to my training. I mean, there are certain things that I'll obviously cut back on, right, for respect. But I mean, yeah, like it would be like, really, really hard when you look at an individual. I mean, you work out the amount of muscle a person carries for a person to go on this diet, or like, like where you don't eat for thirty days. Mm-hmm. Now, is it after sunset that you can it, eat, or is it's it usually night? after? It's you can't so when the sun comes up, you you don't eat for about seventeen hours. Oh yeah, and that stuff with clients, and that's no no water, no food. I mean, and like I said, all respect, you got have to understand. 
but right. then again, you have to understand for somebody who's an athlete who mm-hmm. likes to work out. I mean, like you—that's really scary. That's where injuries happen. I, would I mean, I don't think point. you. There's days where you're you're full mm-hmm. and you go to lift. I mean, and you're not competing well because you didn't get enough sleep. Let alone if you're trying to train on an empty stomach. Exactly. I would get that whenever I uh, whenever I first got into training up there up north. I had a lot of Indian clients, and it was like. There are so many restrictions on the diet because of, you know, their religious eating habits where I would have to, you know, there's the, there's the science side of me that wants to be like, well, you can't eat this much bread, especially at this time and this and the rice and all the curry that you're having. But there's only so much that you can do to say, well, let's replace lists. Let's put this over here. Or can we do that? Whenever their objection would just come down to, well, I can't do that because this is my culture. You know, and those are things you learn to have to get around and try to figure out how you can maybe adjust the training a little bit to compensate for the amount of carbs that they're eating in because it's a religious thing or it's a cultural thing. And uh, there's just more things that I think a lot of the a lot of the younger trainers or the ones that don't do so well they just they just brush it off to the side. They don't make it a concern. I have a legitimate question. Let's hear it. Let's. Are <laughs> you right. serious now? Yeah. Hey, I was serious before, dude. That's that's, no, that's really <laughs> that rectum problem's no joke. No. Uh, so you mentioned the three big lifts, right? Um, and one of those being bench press. So I've found, you know, I'm not in great shape now, but I have gone through cycles, you know, where I've been in pretty good shape, and then I'll fall off a little bit and stuff. Um, but I noticed when training bench press, like I've got a bench at home. And then I also have a gym membership. But one of the things that's challenging to me is once you start to get up to that max rep range, uh, I had one time where I was in the gym and I just couldn't get the bar up far enough and I had to just like kind of throw it off to the side, you know. And it kind of messed me up mentally, you know, um, from that point on. Not that I was worried about getting hurt, but that I was worried about being that kind of an asshole, you know, in the gym. And, um, so sometimes like I can go with a training partner or something and get a good spotter and things like that. And I, I find like I can get a much better workout when I have a spotter. And then I went through a big period where I would just grab random people around the gym, you know, it's like, Hey, would you mind spotting me? You know? And they would spot me for a set and then I'd feel bad to ask them again, you know, to spot me for the next set. So I'd have to wait and find somebody else. And that got to be a big hassle. So with all that information, what my question is, is there anything that you would recommend for training some of these big lifts when you don't have a spotter available, Um, like whether it be a machine or just using lower weight and higher reps or something like that? That's actually a really, really good question. And uh, believe it or not, as trainers and as an athlete, I kind of run across that myself. I hate to bench. Yeah, I said it. I hate to bench. It's, it's a mind over matter thing. So it's kind of like when you're dealing with low reps and heavy weight, it's a psychological thing. When you're doing high reps, you can get away with less muscle engagement and just doing less. But when you're dealing with big numbers like that, what I find really, really that works is kind of working your way into it. So you'll see a lot of guys like, okay, today I do one rep max. I'm going to bench 315. <laughs> And so the thing about it is if you're benching 315 for one, but you're constantly doing hypertrophy, you're doing high rep training all your other days, 
you never you've never gotten your nervous system your mind ready for that one rep right, max right. it's just kind of kind of like wrestling when you mm-hmm. go you have to get ready to get back in the ring you just can't walk in the ring like oh right, i'm gonna wrestle today right. you have to work into it so think same thing with one rep max like i'm getting ready for a competition so the last cycle of a competition is where i start cutting down the reps mm-hmm. taking out the volume and training my mind and body how to work under that weight I get nervous too. I mean, especially when you're benching. You, I've gotten mm-hmm. stuck before a bench, right. and you feel silly and stupid. Like help! <laughs> you always have that one guy like help me. I like how you turn into Halid. <laughs> hey, Halid's probably listening to this, man. So yeah, like I always tell people, pick a weight, work up to it. If you're trying to work with one rep maxes, first of all, you shouldn't even be doing one rep maxes because you're going to get injured. Right. If you've never worked, a lot of trainers like, all right, we're one rep maxing today. Like, well, why? What's the benefit? There's no reason if that kind of answers your question. Right. I think it does a little bit, yeah. A little bit. Speaking of questions, we did get one on the Facebook. I'm I actually gonna throw have a question, too. <laughs> I'm going to throw it your way, Fred. It was on uh, one of the Facebook things we sent out. It was from, her name is Rachel Schuyler, and she asked, I need to be explained the concept behind why the hell calf muscles are genetic but no other muscle in our body is. It's driving me nuts. Sad face, sad face. Again, it goes back to when you look at the calf muscle, and you can stand up for me. This it's it's a muscle that's used. It's used to be used. It's a muscle that it's, it's constantly working. If you look at remember that soccer player we used to train. That's right. With those big yeah, calves. insane. Calf so, I mean, it supports your body weight, so you have to provide a lot of stress to it. I mean, it kind of goes back. Why do you want a bigger calf muscle? I always ask my client, what's the functional? behind it. If you're a bodybuilder, you need big calves. Like, I mean, right. I wouldn't win no bodybuilding show with my calves. But if you're a soccer player, you're going to run a lot. Your calves most, most are going to be a little bit more developed. If you're a powerlifter, a wrestler, you don't really need big calves. So how am I going to ca- get calves? You need to train them more often. You need to provide more stress so they'll grow. That's right, Rachel. And uh, the other thing is every body part on you is genetic the difference is you're not using every body part as much as you're using your calves so if you were to grab a pair of dumbbells and curl them motherfuckers like you know three thousand times a day there's a good chance that your biceps would grow just as fast as your calves so you should take that as a compliment from mother nature about your calves being the size that they are anyway freddie we're gonna have to wrap this thing up we have been talking for quite a while so before we wrap up can i can i add two things or ask two things one thing i had a question in regards to the calf um i've heard that uh one of the reasons that people have problems growing calves is because actually a lot of times what they're working out isn't the muscle it's the tendon that takes a lot of the brunt so you could like lift heavy on your calves all day long and they don't get any bigger because they're actually training the their move their movement on the calf is too fast so if they actually go slower when they're doing their uh workout that it actually strains the muscle more so the muscle right. grows i don't know if that's true or not but that's something i heard i mean you'll hear a lot of stuff but i mean i think what it all boils down to is you have to be patient sure like i said like you're like i mean you can you're going to use them all day i mean just like arms if you want them, you have to train them you have to set aside time probably more time than you want to do it more often, and I guarantee you'll see results in it. Sure. And then my second question is, uh, in regards to big movements like uh, deadlifts, squats, I've, uh, I'm in my phase where I'm going to the gym fairly often again, and I've always avoided deadlifts and squats because I have scoliosis and I'm always afraid I'm going to do something to my back. Uh, is there any advice on what somebody with a bad back can 
do honestly i always tell clients see a see a doctor first because okay. i mean a lot of especially when you get a stage where you're deconditioned like that mm-hmm. you're dealing with something like that i mean that's injury waiting to happen sure so stay i would stay away from it more and more like technique but i wouldn't be focusing on how much you lift or anything like that okay cool all right, Freddie, there's a lot of people out there that are listening. They're going to go, man, how can I see this guy? I was just so fucking impressed by him on the show today. He sounds like an yeah. awesome dude. Sam made him sound like he's hot as shit. So you'd be ready for a lot of guys to be sending you some emails and calls and texts. So how can the listeners out there get a hold of you? You can find me on Facebook. Just look up uh, Freddie. I want it. Farood and Freddie. Um, I do have a Facebook page, kind of where I post uh, inspirational stuff, success stories, workouts here and there. That's at facebook.com forward slash freddyfit91. By the way, they wouldn't let me put Freddy Fit because there's somebody out there with Freddy Fit. So I heard <laughs> And I actually looked it up. It was like some uh, somewhere in India. So I had to put a 91 behind it. <laughs> and uh, let's see, you're also on Instagram, right? I'm on Instagram. Uh, I'm under uh, Pharaoh Fred. Pharaoh Fred and on Twitter you're at- I actually don't use Twitter anymore. I know I'm tagging you to everything. You? I was like, I don't think Fred uses it. Do you it get anymore. on there? Anymore? I love it, man. Twitter's the best. Yeah, man, but I feel like you sometimes I want to write a paragraph <laughs> <laughs> and it only lets you put 150 characters. So that is it for today's episode. I'm Sam Richardson. I'm Tim Pickerel. I can't believe I said that about my rectum. It's <laughs> just uh you can't take it back now, but oh well, everybody knows. I'm Jordan Taylor. Thanks. And I'm Farood and Freddie. And this is the How Should I Bro podcast. You can find us on Facebook at How Should I Bro. You can follow us on Twitter at How Should I Bro. And I think we're now on Instagram under the Onyx Edge account. Uh, well, Onyx Edge Studios has one, and then I'm going to start a How Should I Bro Instagram separate account. And you can send comments, questions our way. You can you can send them to my Facebook page. You can put it to the How Should I Bro, and we have an official email, which is? Contact at HowShouldIBro.com. And you can also go directly to our website, www.HowShouldIBro.com, and ask a question through the form on the webpage. Awesome. So keep those comments and questions coming. Keep downloading us. If you're on iTunes, make sure that you leave us a rating. Give us five stars if you think we were five stars. Give us one if you think you were shit, but that will help more people find out about it. So that is it for today. I thank you all for listening, and we will see you on the next download. 